Welcome to the Real Estate Syndication Show. Whether you are a seasoned investor or building a new real estate business, this is the show for you. Whitney Sewell talks to top experts in the business. Our goal is to help you master real estate syndication. And now your host, Whitney Sewell. This is your daily real estate syndication show. I'm your host, Whitney Sewell. Today, our guest is Tosin Oduoli. Thanks for being on the show, Tosin. Hey, thank you for having me, Whitney. I appreciate your time. In 2009, Tosin moved to New Jersey to expand and grow his own consulting firm with a focus in finance. As of June 1st, 2017, Tosin sits on the advisory board of the, of the Tulsa Real Estate Fund, a Regulation A Tier 2 fund he co-founded that manages up to $50 million in funds per calendar year for the acquisition and development of large-scale commercial assets in several key urban markets nationwide. On their first seven days of operation, they were able to raise $10 million in capital commitments. That's impressive, Tosin. Tosin, you know, give us a little more history and, and fill in some gaps of, you know, how you got to where you're at now and what you're doing. Sure. So um, I think it kind of all starts uh, with my parents. Uh, my parents uh, were born and raised in Nigeria and Africa. And so my uh, grandfather was a business owner in Nigeria. He owned a travel agency. And so as he started to do well, he kind of just wanted his children to get like, you know, get educated in other places around the country and not necessarily just stay in Africa. So he sent my father to the Rhode Island School of Design when he was 17 years old. And so initially my dad wanted to be an architect. You know, he thought he was going to be this big architect and he was going to design, you know, apartment buildings and houses, et cetera. And I guess probably like his second year into that uh, architectural program, he decided it wasn't what he wanted to do and that he wanted to get into computer programming. So IT kind of, kind of exploded a little bit in the 90s, in the late 80s and early 90s in the States. And so he kind of you know, turned into that. And uh, he bought a, a little bit of real estate to rent out to kind of just supplement his income so he could take care of his growing family because you know, his, his IT company actually went bankrupt <laughs> very early on. And so um, yeah, he, my, my dad just was always like a business owner type of person. Uh, my mom came to America when she was in her early 20s and she started a clothing company to where she would sew um, African traditional clothing for like weddings. And, you know, if there were people that kind of wanted to do a bar mitzvah differently and they wanted to have like African traditional wear, then she would do that. And so I kind of just grew up watching my mom and my dad kind of run their own businesses and, 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 you know, dibble and dabble in real estate. And so when I got older, um, it was kind of kind of embedded in me that if you're going to go to college, you're going to college not so that you can get a good job after college. You're going to college so that you can learn how to run a business after you get out of college. So I think that's kind of the seed that they planted in very, very early on, which, and you know, I, well, I think it actually comes from my grandfather <laughs> and then it trickled down to my dad and then to me. So, you know, tell me a little, a little about that, how college helped you to learn how to run a business. So college, um, it, 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 it taught me how like people management. Uh, when it came to the actual classes, I didn't really learn too much about business from college courses, but just learning how to like work with other my classmates on like group projects and learning how to deal with different, you know, emotions and, you know, people not showing up and you having to pick up the slack for them. And so it, it really teaches you people management and you just learn how to talk to people. Um, I probably say that going to parties was probably the best thing for my business career as a college kid, because you learn how to like just deal with people. 
because that's really all business is. You're learning how to get people to like you so they can buy something from you, you know? <laughs> and so I think college really, really helped develop just my social skills and just being comfortable around people that are just from different backgrounds of life. And so I, I, I really, really credit college for that. So tell us about, you know, exactly what you're doing now and your business, the business that you have right now. So um, in 2015, um, I started a company called Odwali Enterprises. So um, it's a company that I own, but my younger brother's 29 years old. He helps me run it. So what we do are primarily event management and real estate consulting. And so that kind of helped us to kind of get the initial capital that we needed so that we can venture off into other businesses. You know, we eventually bought a sports bar in New York in 2016. And it was really just the seed capital. So um, my, my partner now, his name's Jay Morrison. He was a huge real estate agent in the early 2000s developer, uh, actually founded the school, our training school, the Jay Morrison Academy. And so he was my mentor uh, coming up about eight years ago. And, um, you know, he really just taught me a lot about how to turn real estate, not to just be a house flipper, but to be a developer and a syndicator. And we always said that we wanted to start a fund and actually do, you know, 10, 15, $20 million deals. And so we spent a lot of time just Googling and talking to other hedge funds in New York and just trying to figure out, like, how do you get to that space? And so it was in 2016 that we figured out, okay, when it comes to the fund space and the structure, we want to do regulation A tier two, because our audience, our constituents, the people that look to us, they're not really accredited investors. You know, they don't have uh, a joint income of 250000 a year or a net worth of a million dollars. So it, it wouldn't have made sense for us to go the accredited route. And so that's how we said, you know what, let's do this regulation A tier two. It will allow us to build a successful company and also give everyone who's believing in, enough, in, in us enough to give us their money. It'll also give them ownership of our company as well. You know, fractional ownership, of course. And so that's kind of how, you know, where we're at right now. Uh, we officially launched the fund June 1st, 2018. Uh, the first couple hours, we raised $504,000. Uh, within 24 hours, we raised $2 million. And uh, within the first seven days, we had $10 million in capital commitments. And so we uh, had our first acquisition November 2018. We're in renovations right now, and the door should be open on that by May. So how did you prepare your business to raise that kind of capital capital just right off the bat wonderful so we spent about eight months prior to launch promoting and marketing that our fund is going to be out june 1st so when it comes to every social media platform uh, from youtube facebook instagram we created content specifically for those individual platforms and we were consistent with releasing content so of course, when it comes to the fund space, one of the biggest things that people are concerned about is transparency. You know, we can thank Bernie Madoff for that, for just destroying the trust in the financial world. So we just spent a lot of time explaining to people what Regulation A Tier 2 is, letting people know that the SEC is actually the uh, uh, um, big brother to make sure everything's being done well. Uh, we put all of our filings with the SEC publicly online so that anybody could download them and go through them and see exactly who's involved. So it, it was really just creating that sense of transparency and trust and then just really explaining what that is because our demographic, for the most part, is totally clueless when it comes to funds and, and SEC filings and stuff. So we spent a lot of 
you know, marketing, but also educating along the way and then letting people know, hey, June 1st, this thing is going live. And so uh, I, I want to come back to the how you promoted and marketed it. But uh, while you're talking about it, just elaborate just a little bit on, on when you say reggae tier two, you know, a lot of people, uh, a lot, you know, listeners probably haven't heard of that term before, you know, tell us, just give us a little briefing, you know, of what that means. Sure. So um, when it comes to crowdfunding, which is different from a typical hedge fund, there may be maybe a hundred high net worth individuals in that fund and they're all giving like a million, two million, ten million, et cetera. Crowdfunding for the most part is divided into regulation A tier one and then regulation A tier two. So regulation A tier one, they're only allowed to raise $20 million per year. However, those investors have to be accredited. So they can be from anywhere in the world, but they have to be accredited and your max is $20 million. So typically a reg A tier one fund is probably only gonna have maybe a couple hundred people involved, you know? So it's a bit more of a tight knit circle, but you have to be accredited. So that really, for, for the most part, X's out 95% of the American population. And so regulation A tier two, you don't have to be accredited at all. And the minimum amount, there really is no minimum amount. It's really set by the fund. So we made our minimum amount $500, you know? And so um, it's basically a crowdfund. So when you hear Reg A Tier 1, Reg A Tier 2, that's just crowdfunding, basically. It's just a fancy word for crowdfunding. All right. So I appreciate that. And But, you know, I, I want to know more details about how you prepared your business to raise that capital that fast, you know, that fast. Because, you know, all the listeners are, they're either – uh, I mean, they're going to raise capital, they're trying to raise capital now, or they're planning to, you yes. know, so, you know, help us, um, you know, so we can prepare our business to be able to raise capital like that. Sure. So specifically, you want to have an online presence. So whatever fund or whatever you're trying to raise money for, you want to make sure that you're explaining in videos over a long period of time, exactly what you're doing and exactly how it works. So of course, you know, if you put a video out on YouTube or Facebook, Unless it's live, there's not really any interaction. So what we did was is that we held weekly conference calls on a certain day at a certain time where anybody could call in and they could ask us questions live. So if there was something that wasn't clear, they could actually speak to you, speak to me or to speak to Jay or our attorney directly and get like a precise exact answer. And so we did that for like an entire year. So people had an entire year to put us through the ringer and ask everything and you know, it, it was really just getting to the point to where by launch day, there's no question. There's, there's nothing you're not clear about. So now it's just a, a situation of are you going to invest or, or are you not? And so you want to get them to that point to where they feel like, okay, every single type of concern or question has been addressed. Now, do I like these guys enough or trust these guys enough to place my money in their fund? Because there's a ton of other Regulation A tier two funds all across the country. You know, so it's really just about engaging them in a way that makes them feel, okay, if they spent a year educating and talking to us about this before it even came out, most likely they're going to continue this type of behavior going into the fund. A lot of funds don't have or grant that amount of accessibility to them. You know, you don't get to talk to them weekly. They don't answer their emails within 24 hours. They're not constantly, constantly, constantly putting in um, uh, an effort into you knowing the entire team, everybody who's involved. And so that's what we did, which garners the trust. It's, it's just about the trust. People want to trust you. And if, as they get to talk to you more, they begin to like you. 
And you're more likely to invest money or spend money with people that you like or that you feel you know. So it's really just about creating that relationship to where they feel that you're personable, they feel like they can contact you, and having that go on for a long time before you say, okay, now's the time where you can actually put money in the fund. And so I think what we did is not really unique. I think anybody can do it. They just got to copy what we did. No, I like that. I, and I like how you talked about you did this for a year. It wasn't, yeah. you know, it wasn't overnight. It wasn't even a week or a month. It was, you knew for, I mean, for a year, you all were doing this every week and that consistency, like you talked about. Yeah. And so, but what was your experience? You know, when you're, you're putting out these videos, this content, what was your experience uh, in the, in the, uh, in the business, you know, while you're putting this content out? So just preparing for, you know, what type of deals are we going to take down? You know, since we're, we're a year out from actually launching this thing, what are we going to do? Are we going to go after, you know, portfolios of single family homes in the Midwest? Or are we going to go after, you know, specifically apartment buildings or commercial space? So it was about, you know, we, we are, are, are promising an 8% preferred return and a 50% profit split, right? So I want to make sure that we can actually deliver that 8% and 50-50 profit split. So I'm looking at, okay, what deals are going to allow me to, on a consistent basis, actually live up to the promise? And so that was really what I was doing for the last year. It's like, okay, we're 12 months out. What markets are we going to focus on? What markets are trending to pop? You know, we specifically stayed away from the oversaturated markets like New York and Miami because those prices are so high. There's like four caps and six caps and just makes it really difficult to return 8%, you know, in those type of markets. So it was really just me traveling around the country, meeting with a lot of brokers, a lot of investors, uh, you know, going to a lot of small towns. So how many deals, how many deals had you done when you were, when you started putting out all this content? Um, at that time, collectively, we had done over 150. Oh, okay. Yeah, but they just weren't uh, majority commercial deals. They were like, uh, we did a lot of uh, ground up constructions of single family homes in Essex. Okay. Uh, we did a few flips. So we had all had a few years of experience but this was just our first time doing it on, on, on a fund level. You know? Okay. That, that was totally new to us. Now I, I hear that, you know, I hear that, uh, that question often from people getting started, especially raising capital. Well, I don't have any experience or maybe I've only had a couple rentals or something like that. You know, how, why are people going to trust me? And so I, you know, but you know, developing that thought leadership platform or that, uh, you know, that content online where people can just learn more about you and, and develop to trust you. And, 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 uh, you know, sounds like what you did. So, you know, tell me more about how you developed the content. How did you, you know, I just want to kind of dive in just for a minute and, uh, to help the listener that's kind of, that's thinking about developing that thought leadership platform or, you so, know, um, I'm, I'm going to give them specifics. So I hope that they have pens and paper. Please do. Yeah, so as far as like creating your content, this is exactly what you need. You need a DSLR camera or a Canon camera. Uh, specifically, I would recommend the Canon C100. Um, you can get that camera used for about 1400 bucks, 1600 bucks. Um, the reason why you want that specific camera because it's gonna give you good quality. You know, you don't wanna get a cheap DSLR that, you know, a $400, $500 camera that's gonna be grainy. Because at the end of the day, if you're asking, people to put millions of dollars in your fund, like just subconsciously, there's a certain type of presentation that they're expecting, you know? So it, it makes a lot of sense just to put money into a camera. The cheapest camera that you can buy that can get you that quality is the Canon C100. You can find it on Amazon, eBay, et cetera, right? 
Um, then you also want to get a lighting kit. You can find these on Amazon and eBay as well. You can get an entire photo studio lighting kit for about 70 bucks, lights and everything. And then um, you want to, there, there's a converter that I'm, I can't think of right now, but if you Google um, DSLR converter to live streams, you'll come up with a whole bunch of companies to where there's a basically a converter that you plug your camera in and that plugs into your computer. So that way when you're going live on Facebook or, or, or YouTube, it will like transfer that high quality from the camera into the computer so you don't have to use like your cell phone because the cell phone's gonna be very grainy, right? And so that's all we did and we just spent some days, we'll spend the entire Saturday just pre-recording different videos explaining different steps of the filing process, different steps of how we're gonna analyze these deals and then we would just release them periodically once a week or once every couple of days and then we would also go live like once or twice just in case you know, just so people can just feel that live interaction. And then we had our weekly conference calls with a company called um, freeconferencecall.com. So I think if you pay, so I think we pay like uh, $99 a month and we get like a phone number, a pin, and then they give you a capacity of how many people can call into that line. And so if I'm not mistaken, the cheapest package is like 99 bucks a month and you're allowed like 100 people that can call in. And so every week we just made sure that, you know, we promoted, hey, on Wednesday at eight o'clock, call into this number, put in the pin, and any questions you guys have, we'll answer. And we let them put us through the ringer. Like ask us anything. If you're an accountant, if you've been in the real estate space before, you're not a beginner and you actually know something about this, ask us that question. <laughs> you know, and so we did this for an entire year. Um, it really wasn't costly as far as, um, Doing that, it was more of just the consistency, just reminding yourself, reminding everybody, hey, make sure you have a clean haircut. We're going to be recording tonight. Make sure, you know what I'm saying? So it was more just about the consistency of just making sure we were putting out this content all the time, all the time. Um, we also archive those calls so that people who weren't able to make the call can go back and listen to them on our site. And then on YouTube, you can just type in uh, Tulsa Real Estate Fund or Jay Morrison Academy, and you'll see all of our live videos and you know you, you'll be able to you can pretty much find all of those uh mentorship calls and discovery calls that we've had online and so um one thing that we did run into which we didn't expect was that initially there was a lot of pushback i would say hate from people that felt that we weren't qualified to do this because it was our first time that's what i was looking for <laughs> we got called names in the book we got called scammers we got called fraudsters um the nfl players association actually put out an investor alert because we've been personally managing and coaching nfl players for years and so they were saying good things about us because we've made a few players a lot of money and so it was getting around it was like hey if you're young and new in the league you want to go to these guys and so I don't know the NFL, the NFL, I think they only, they already have their own advisors that they kind of push on to people when they get into the league. And so if we're taking business away from you, it's like, Hey, so they, they put out an alert saying, Hey, just be careful about these guys. When they were younger, they had a few run-ins with the law, not saying they're going to do anything wrong, but just so you know, you know? And so we had a lot of that pushback and it was like Warren Buffett's first time making a billion dollars was his first time. So because he had never done it before, does that mean he's not capable of doing it? It's going to be your first time for anything that you're doing that's new. 
So sometimes there is no way to prove your credibility in the new venture, but you show, okay, in everything I've done before in the past, I've done well, I've been honest, I've been transparent, and there's nobody who's worked with me that can walk away and say that they lost money or that we handled them in the wrong way. And so we were really just banking off of our reputation and knowing that we've done a lot of good. And so it was really only about five or six people. They were YouTubers that have like YouTube pages and it was just a topic for them to talk about. But um, after we raised that money in seven days and made our first acquisition and everything's going as we said, it, it's just been crickets, <laughs> you know, so. Now, so, yeah. I, I appreciate you talking about that because I, I know a lot of the listeners are, are right there. You know, it's like, well, you know, they don't feel like they have an experience in getting started. Um, you know, and I mean, I can relate, you know, starting a podcast and, and uh, you know, it's uh, all that was new territory, you know, for me. Uh, but, uh, but however, you know, you just got to jump in there and keep it going, right? Keep doing it and keep, you know, keep pushing forward, be consistent. But, you know, how, how did you overcome the, the, uh, the slap in the face? really, you know, when, when that happened, you all found that I'm sure you were just kind of set back or discouraged a little bit, but how did you, how did you overcome that? Um, it was very hurtful because we didn't feel that the people talking actually believed what they were saying. We, we knew that it was like clickbait. It was going to get them a lot of views because we have like a huge presence online. So I feel it was just people taking advantage of, okay, we do have a credible concern. You guys have never done this before. You guys are probably up to no good. And it was people just taking advantage of that to get more followers and get more subscribers to their pages. And it was very hurtful that, you know, being that our fund is really community centered. And so we're not just taking people's money. We're giving them equity in our company. We're giving them half of our profits so that we can help a, a demographic of people who typically are locked out of institutional investments and giving them their way in thanks to, you know, Obama signing the jobs act. And so we felt that it's like, you would think that people would want to cheer for you and root on for you and not try to find where there's holes. Even after we've been transparent for the last year and some change and a month before we launched, now you guys want to like, what happened to all these questions? You could have asked them for the last year that we've been advertising all these conference calls, all these live streams where you could have voiced all your concerns 12 months ago, 10 months ago. So it was really just like, okay, it comes with the territory. I mean, a lot of hedge fund guys get called nasty stuff, but you know, they just don't really talk about it. So I guess because we're more um, present online, then we kind of have to respond to it or address it because, you know what I'm saying? So. It, it, it was more hurtful than us being, oh, my God, they, they found out, oh, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, yeah, I mean. So, Tosin, um, what, what do you tell somebody that's, that's looking to get into this, this syndication business? You know, what, what's that, you know, 30 seconds of advice that you give someone uh, passing by that learns about you and says, oh, you know, what do I need to do? Find a really good syndication attorney because they're the one that, that are going to take you to the promised land. You want to make sure that they've done this a few times because there's so many, you know, ins and outs when you're dealing with the SEC. And if you just get some new guy who doesn't know what they're doing and, the, and it, it could make your process longer and more expensive. And so our whole audit, our entire filing process with the SEC took 16 months. And that, and we had a great attorney that actually fast tracked us. So if you really want to do it right, I would just say find a really good attorney 
Um, if you want, you can use ours. You know, I, I can send you her information. She's based out of, I believe, Nevada, uh, well-known in the syndication space. And so, um, yeah, I would just say find a really good syndication attorney because they're going to really, really save you a lot of headaches and save you a lot of money. So what's been the hardest part of the syndication process or journey for you? Um, I think the hardest part would be, I, I think it would probably be like picking which deal to put the money in because you want to underwrite that thing three, four, five, six times from independent underwriters, like your, your in-house team. You also want to send it out to some third party people. You want to make sure that what you're seeing, if you see a good deal, you want to make sure that four, five, six other people also think it's a good deal as well. And then people that are not associated with your company, you know, other mortgage processors, uh, loan originators, people who understand the business, because at the end of the day, I'm taking your money and I really don't want to lose it. You know, like I, I don't want you to put your confidence in our organization and we let you down. So picking the deals, I think is, the most um, part of the process where you really, really want to make sure that you're crossing all your I's and dotting all your T's and doing all of the due diligence that you can fathom, even if it costs you money out of your own pocket, you know? So it's just like, I'd rather measure 10 times and cut once, you know? So, <laughs> so that I would say is where you really, it's the most, I guess, nerve wracking, if you want to say what's the most scariest part of it. But of course, at the end of the day, you do have to cross that bridge but you just want to make sure that you're really, really making sure that you're not slacking with that process. Cause at the end of the day, that's what you're going to be judged on. What deal did you sink the money in? So how, how did you overcome that? I know you talked about different people, but did you hire other people and did you hire people outside of your company also? So we hired, so we have an in-house underwriting team and then we hired some third party underwriters to kind of take a look at it from, you know, a non-biased view. And then I really just looked at hundreds of property properties, us of a team, we looked at hundreds of properties before we picked this specific one. Um, not saying that you necessarily have to look at hundreds of deals to find a good deal. You don't necessarily have to, but we were like, okay, this is our first deal that we're going to do under this umbrella of regulation a, right? So we don't launch for another year. We have the time to actually look at what would be the best scenario for what we're trying to do. Cause I, I just felt, and we felt as a team that, you know, what we lead with is probably going to set the tone about how people feel about how, how we're going about this. So let's just go extra above and beyond. You know, the next time around, we may not have to look at 112 deals. We may only have to look at 26 and find something that's great, you know, but um, going into it, we just wanted to make sure that we looked at every possible um, circumstance before we actually push the button on it. What's a way you've recently improved your business that we can all apply to ours? Um, automation. Uh, I'm not sure if people are familiar with a CRM called Infusionsoft. It's amazing. It allows us to keep in contact with all 12,200 of our investors. It allows us to address them by name. It allows us to have their name, email addresses, addresses, phone numbers. So it just kind of lets us, it, it, it also allows us to, to put them in the groups of how much whoever invested. So anybody that's invested from 500 to 5,000, we can have them in one funnel, 10,000 to 20,000 in one funnel. So that way it's just easier to kind of know who you're speaking to and you can create custom messages for those people. So having a CRM, a customer relations management program, 
very, very important. Infusionsoft is what we use. Um, I know Salesforce is another huge one. If I'm not mistaken, Salesforce may be the largest CRM in the country, but um, we use Infusionsoft because it's uh, very compatible with everything else. Did you start with Infusionsoft? Yeah, we've been using Infusionsoft for about three years, even in our other businesses. So it's, it's been good for us for day one. So we figured if it's not broken, don't fix it. Nice. And what's the number one thing that's contributed to your success? Um, I think the consistency and communicating with the people that make us run that cause there's been times that, you know, every company has customer service issues, right? I don't care if you're Coca-Cola or if you're mom and pop shop that sells vases in main street America. Um, I think when you have constant communication with your customer, they're way more patient and more like emotionally invested in your success that they give you time to fix things. <laughs> you know, like they give you time to like, you know, work out the kinks. And so I think the communication has really helped us. So all those lives, all those conference calls, all those emails, you know, all those, uh, you know, community events that we did. So since 2015, we've done something called a corner class where we go to t between 25 and 50 cities, we go out on a block, on, on the street. We set up a whiteboard and we teach financial literacy for free on the street to anybody passing by. And we do like a 25 to 50 city tour every year. And we usually have a turnout between like 60 to 300 people in every city that we go to. And so them knowing that, and, and we don't charge anything for it. That's totally out of our pocket. On, on average, it costs us about $6,000 to go to each city because we have to pay for flights. We have to pay for our camera people to come. We got to pay for the hotels of everybody that's coming with us, the food. So it costs about six grand to go to each one of those cities. And then when we get there, we give out free books and we give out free pamphlets. And so these people have seen us in their cities for years and have talked to us directly then follow us and watch us online and talk to us on the phone. And so that sense of community, that's the number one reason, not because we're geniuses or we just figured, you know, we just cracked the code, but it's because we actually like engage and keep in touch with our audience. And that is the number one. That's the only reason why we were able to do what we did in a seven day period. So how do those, how do those people know you're coming? Uh, so what we'll do is on all of our social media platforms, we'll make like flyers. They'll say Chicago corner class, June 25th to the 26th. And then we'll put the street corner where we're going to be at. And so we will release that itinerary for all 25 to 50 of the, of the cities, like at the beginning of the year. So that all those people that follow us, if they're in those cities, they can mark it on their calendar. And they have like a huge head, heads up before we can get there. Wow. So, so they, these people are already following you on social media. Some of them are, a lot of them don't even know who we are. They're just walking down the street and they see a group of people and they come and join and they're like, oh, these guys are teaching financial literacy for free and then they follow us. Wow. <laughs> and then they give us our, their name and their email and then they're in our funnel and you know, we take it from there. Tosin, we're out of time. I really appreciate you being on the show. You've provided so much great content for our listeners. And, but tell them how they can get in touch with you and learn more about your business. Sure. Um, you can definitely follow me on Instagram. It's Tosin underscore Oduwale. Tosin spelled T-O-S-I-N underscore O-D-U-W-O-L-E. Um, you can also follow our fund's Facebook page, Tulsa Real Estate Fund, or check us out on our website, TulsaRealEstateFund.com. 
or jmorrisonacademy.com, J spelled J-A-Y, morrisonacademy.com. Great. Thank you so much again for your time. And I appreciate the listeners being with us today. I hope you'll uh, join me on LifeBridge Capital and uh, schedule a call uh, with me as well. And then go to our Facebook group where we can all learn and grow our businesses together from experts like Tosin. So uh, thanks again. And we will talk to you all tomorrow. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Real Estate Syndication Show brought to you by LifeBridge Capital. LifeBridge Capital works with investors nationwide to invest in real estate while also donating 50% of its profits to assist parents who are committing to adoption. LifeBridge Capital, making a difference, one investor and one child at a time. Connect online at www.lifebridgecapital.com for free material and videos to further your success.